friends in Christ. When uh, Rachel Held Evans, a wife and mother of two small children, died on May 4th last year, she was at the age of 37. And it wasn't just her family, friends, and acquaintances who were saddened. There were thousands of people across the nation who had never met her face to face, but they also felt a deep sense of loss. And the bond was made because Evan had written about the Christian faith in her popular online blog and also books. It was the power of her words about moving from the evangelical faith of her youth to a progressive stance on Christianity that a writer for the magazine The Christian Century called her the most influential mainline theologian of her generation, the C.S. Lewis of her time. And while Evans was never trained or had any credentials in religious studies, she influenced many people who entered into a calling of ministry, especially women. And she was raised in a conservative Christian home environment that was there. As a teenager, she embraced the expression of Christianity. But she eventually found herself pushing back against traditional evangelical positions, even earning her the title the most polarizing woman in evangelicalism. That was according to the Washington Post. Evans had a broad appeal, even among her critics. And while she was laying in a coma just before her death, her well-wishers, they ranged from the conservative evangelical leaders who openly disagreed with her, as well as the theologically liberal people. Caitlin Beatty, the editor-at-large for Christianity Today, commented that Evans wrote about how hard it is to trust God, to forgive church leaders, and to wrestle with Scripture. One of her followers on Twitter said that RHE, as she was known online, she taught the beauty of messy and complicated faith. She showed us how to hold multiple perspectives in tension, and she made people feel safe to talk about doubt. Now here's where this summary about Evans meets our New Testament reading for today. Evans eventually moved away from her evangelical faith to a progressive position. She never left her Christian identity, and she settled in the congregation in a mainline denomination. In her book called Searching for Sunday, She says that she remained a Christian despite all of her doubts and objections to traditional theology because Christianity names and addresses sin. It acknowledges the reality that the evil we observe in the world is present in ourselves. It tells the truth about the human condition that we're not okay. This is, of course, what Paul says here in Romans 5 in some different words. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, of course, Paul is not the first person to ever say this. You can go centuries back to the prophet Isaiah, and he talks about we all like sheep have gone astray. And all of us, we've turned to our own way, And as a result, the Lord has laid on that servant, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Many generations before Isaiah, the Lord had told the Israelites to put fringes on their garments. Why? 
so that they would remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and not follow the lust of your own heart and your own eyes. Paul was the one who knew also how unforgiving the civil law was. There's a punishment for every crime, but there's not forgiveness there. Legalistic people know all about punishment, but not about forgiveness. It would be just like him to use a legal analogy to teach about what Christ has done. Legalists would not allow an offender of the law, even minor ones in the case of those Pharisees, and even after an offender has done time or suffered the punishment, to ever be happy again or to ever forget about his or her crime or sin. In the mind of a legalist, once a person sins or commits a crime, that person can never again enjoy peace and joy and even love. He or she should also never smile again, but repent for life. They would be looked at as damaged goods. We do the same today, too. We use terms like ex-con for someone who has committed an offense like that. But we don't need to go all the way back into Scripture to show what we're looking at here. Many of us are aware that individually and collectively, we have a lot of garbage. It's garbage that we don't want other people to see about our lives. In that Searching for Sunday book, Evan spoke of the stark language of prayers of confession. That acknowledges plainly our sinfulness. And it likens our condition to like the introduction that's typical at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Someone will get up and they'll say, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. And the reason for that introduction is that it equalizes all the attendees who are there at that meeting. Evan says that prayers of confession that we make, it equalizes all the worshipers there together. These prayers, she said, they remind us that we all move through the world in the same state. We're broken and we're beloved. And that we're all in need of healing and grace. They embolden us to confess to one another not only our sins, but also our fears, our doubts, our questions in life, our injuries, and even our pain. God's love that was especially proven in that cross That's God's brand of justice. And as long as God's love is in the world, we know that God's justice is there. It can be seen in crosses and also in suffering. The answer is not found in human logic or words, but it's found in a human person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. We just can't figure God out. He's too big for us, and we're glad he's bigger than us, too. We can only be connected to God's Son and reflect our godly attitudes and our behavior, which is God's character and his characteristics. It's his love. It's his compassionate justice that we show to others. Pastor Stan Purnham, he wrote about an experience that he had at a country church years ago. And he decided one Saturday in October to harvest the black walnuts that were falling off of his trees in the backyard of the parsonage. The nuts, they were encased in those green, tough husks, as large as baseballs. 
And he had it outside with two bushel baskets, which he soon filled with those nuts. And he knew that the nuts themselves were deep inside those tough outer skins, and they couldn't begin to dry until the husks had been removed. And while he expected the husks would eventually split open on their own, he saw no reason to speed along the process with a knife. Well, he attacked the first husk, and it was tougher than he expected, but eventually the knife had cut through and penetrated all the way down to that nut, the nutshell. And then he turned the husk over, and he hacked a similar cut on the other side. And the clear juice from the, the meat of the husk was running onto his hands. And he hoped that the outer skin be peeled off now, but it was not happening. He's struggling as he's twisting and tugging at it. And finally, after five minutes of high-energy labor and some prying with a screwdriver, well, he shucked the outer layer and it revealed the nut inside. It still had strings from that outer husk clinging to its surface. And it took another half hour to have the ability to free the second nut. And at that point, Pernum gave up. And when he washed up, he found that the husk of that juice that was there, it left dark stains on his hands, and it wouldn't come off, not even with undiluted bleach. Well, that's when Purnam remembered that he was going to be serving communion the next day with stained hands. So in church the next morning, before he began the communion liturgy, he told the congregation about the walnut adventure, and uh, despite how they looked, he had clean hands. And the whole congregation got a good chuckle about his experience there. And they didn't seem to mind being served communion by a stained hand pastor. And after the service, one of the older farmers, he says, you know, there's a way to get the nuts if you still want them. What you do is you put them down in your gravel driveway. You leave them there for a few days, running over them with your car as you come and go. And uh, they'll remove or loosen most of the husks. And the rest will be loose enough to pry out manually. But pastor, wear gloves. Pernum said that the only time he started thinking about that was later. And he realized that he had missed a good moment there for a solid theological statement. And that is, no one comes to the Lord's Supper with clean hands. Fortunately, we know that God doesn't require our hands to be clean before welcoming us. And although Psalm 24 says that we must have clean hands and a pure heart in order to stand before God, the point is that God is the one who cleans our hands. He purifies our hearts. He did that so that we can stand before him. And that gospel, John 3:16 and 17, we know that it is God who sent his Son, not to condemn us, but instead to save us. And whether we actually say these words that we're going to say in a moment, whether we say them or not, you know, we come before God with that AA type of statement. And where it has that blank there, I want you to say the sentence and say your own name out loud with me, okay? So together... My name is Rick, and I'm a sinner. Yeah, we're all equal before God, aren't we? 
Well, we're glad that's not the only thing that's said, because God has some words for us too. And let's do it the same way here. He says to us, your name is Rick, and you're redeemed. Say that again about yourself. Your name is Rick, and you're redeemed. Yeah, you are redeemed. God did it for us, and we give thanks for that. That's what Paul says here in our text. He says, but God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is that servant whom Isaiah said had the iniquity of us all laid on him. All of our garbage, all of our sin is laid on him. He took it away from us. But more than that, Paul says three verses after our reading, more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When you receive something, it's not something you do. You get it, right? Yeah, God gave it to us, and it comes to us. Rachel Held Evans, despite her persistent doubts and her even knee-jerk cynicism she had at times, she found the right reason to stay with the church. Because Christianity names and it addresses sin. And it directs us to our Lord who cleans and redeems us. We will have peace with God always. If we step back and let God be God and have Christ be our Savior as he is. Faith in Christ, that faith in our Savior, it means us doing something, changing our behavior because of who we are in him. And as a result, the peace and joy that we experience, that's just a foretaste of that eternal peace and joy to come. As we look at those words, I also want to share with you a brief video from our president of our Northern Illinois District, Dr. Ellen Buss. And on Friday, he had made a video which is very worthy for all of us as we see what's going on, especially during these past days and weeks. And let's listen to those words and take comfort and strength in those. Dear friends, I bring you greetings from Concordia University, Chicago. I'm here for a meeting, but I wanted to share a little video message with you. I wanted to encourage you and... Uh, Well, I want to talk to you about what it means to be the church, because in the midst of all the chaos in our culture, in our country, in conversations, we are the church, the church of Jesus, and the church is always responsible. Last night, I was talking to my son, and we were out raking leaves, and he says, Dad, is this what it was like after 9-11? And he says, yeah, there's some comparisons. We have a situation that we're not in control of, but we get to be the church. You and I get to be the church, and as the church, we are responsible. We're responsible for each other, the people that we worship with. We're going to respect their space. We may not shake so many hands, give so many hugs, but we might wave. We might smile. We might be joyfully Lutheran. We certainly want to look up to our look at our hygiene and taking care of ourselves, washing our hands. Um, but this Sunday, I'm going to church. I'm going to hear the word. I'm going to receive the Lord's body and blood in the sacrament. Jesus is going to share with me and so many of us the victory. Now, you might have some health issues or other things going on. You say, I just don't feel comfortable going to church. Hey, listen to the Lutheran Hour on the radio. Or live stream one of our LCMS services. Or open your Bible 
Uh, the gospel reading for this coming Sunday is from John chapter 4. Jesus meets the woman at the well. He's the living water. We're going to have people along the way here that we're going to meet at the well. And we're going to be able to have spiritual conversations because of all that's going on with the coronavirus. So be responsible and be responsive to the people around you, to the needs around you, to the fears around you. We live in a broken world. The world is groaning. But we know Jesus. And we bring Jesus. You get to bring Jesus. And I do. Last night I was in Rockford. I met a friend of mine. He's got a small business. It's just starting out. And uh, he was talking about people canceling reservations. He was talking about the people in the kitchen who are hourly wages and all that going on. You could just tell the burden. I got to listen. I got to talk. I got to share hope and perspective. It was really a good conversation. There are a lot of conversations to be had inside the church building, but also outside the building. Because we are the church. You are the church of Jesus and the church always thrives when we get to talk about that hope. What does First Peter say? Always be ready to give an answer to the hope that you have. And we overflow with hope because our hope is in Christ, crucified and risen. And he is for you. He's for your family. He's for your church. And he has redeemed the world. So be responsible and let's be responsive. God gives us an opportunity even in this difficulty even in all that's going on, to be who he has made us. Thank you for your service. Thank you for praying. Thank you for loving on your neighbor and being there for your neighbor and your friend. And uh, God is going to use this for his purposes. So I commend you to the Lord, your congregation, your school to the Lord. I commend this situation with you. When I was a little boy and life seemed so much simpler, uh, my pastor taught me in confirmation class a passage I had to memorize. Cast all your care upon the Lord, because he careth for you. I want you to know he cares for you. Your church, your ministry, your family, he even cares for the world that he redeemed by the blood of Jesus. God bless your Lenten journey. If there's anything that I or we can do, please reach out to the Northern Illinois District. And uh, there are resources on the website. Uh, there'll be resources after this video, too. We commend you to the Lord. He cares for you. Thanks. I pray you take his words to heart and, and my words, too, as we uh, share God with each other and the victory that we do have in Jesus. Please stand with me as we pray. God, we have at times failed as your church. You call us to live faithfully and act justly, to bring mercy and to bring peace to the earth. Instead, our lives and your church reflect more of our needs and worries and less of the needs and worries of all peoples. So move us beyond ourselves to hear the cry of the world and that we can respond with words and acts of kindness and mercy and justice. May your grace shine through a church that, even with its shortcomings, that we accept the call of Christ to serve and care and love and bring peace. May your spirit empower us to teach like Christ, to love like Christ, to forgive like Christ, and to serve like Christ. May Jesus go before us, equipping, empowering, and supporting us as we live out our faith each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.